Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's a privilege to be able to preach again. Apparently, I, my preaching is so bad, and Pastor keeps asking me to preach, so <laughs> praise the Lord. It's a privilege to be able to proclaim the Word of God. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. I'm going to be preaching for Deuteronomy chapter 7. The passage is particularly speaking to Israel, but 2 Timothy 3.16 is still true. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. All Scripture. So we can learn from this. Praise the Lord for it. Be reading from verse 1 through 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughters thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, and they may serve other gods so that the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, and break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art a holy holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any people. For you are the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. So to give a little context, Israel was about to enter the land the Lord had promised their father Abraham over 400 years ago. This is one of, one of Moses' last sermons before he would die off and pass his leadership on to Joshua. Now Moses had interceded to the Lord for them. He had prayed for them. He loved them. He, you know, he preached to them. I'm thankful for preachers. I'm thankful for men of God that are willing to lead and to proclaim the word of God. I praise the Lord for Moses. praise the Lord for Jeremiah. I praise the Lord for David. I praise the Lord for Paul. Men that were not afraid to preach and to lead. 
But he was passing on his leadership to Joshua. His, his life is then over. And he was reminding them that their purpose was to be a set-apart, holy nation unto the God of Israel. They still had many battles to fight in Canaan. There would be greater and more powerful nations than what they were, and they were to destroy them. They were to vigilantly uh, separate themselves from all, the, from all the wicked people. They were not to make covenants with them or join themselves to them. They were not to intermingle or intermarry. And they had not arrived as a nation. Though they had made it to the land, they were still to continue trusting solely in the faithful God of Israel, not in horses, not in chariots, but the God of Israel and his perfect promises. In this passage, Moses is reminding them that they are not anything great. They were a small nation that had no strength in and of themselves. Their strength was in the God of Israel, the God whom they served. And though they were small, they were not insignificant. They were God's chosen people. In Lighthouse Baptist Church, it may be small, but it is not insignificant to God. The Lord has chosen his churches to be called, or to, to go forth and proclaim the gospel. Out of all the great institutions of all the world, out of all the great uh, BIMI and all the, the, the great um, institutions that have much more money and much more fame and all that, he didn't choose them. He chose his churches because he loved his churches. And it's amazing if you do a study you look at God loves to use the insignificant, the small people, to proclaim his glory. Moses was promising them that the faithful God of Israel was going to fulfill his promises to his people. And likewise, God is going to fulfill his promises to his churches. We can trust in him. The title of the message tonight is Behold Your Faithful God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity you've given me tonight to proclaim your glory, to proclaim your greatness, and to proclaim your faithfulness, Lord. You are faithful. You are faithful to Israel. You are faithful to Abraham. You are faithful to David. Lord, you are faithful to Jeremiah, who was persecuted. You are faithful to Stephen, who was stoned. You are faithful to Paul, who persecuted the church of God. You are faithful to Peter, and Lord, you are faithful to your church. And we thank you for your faithfulness. I pray that you would help me to proclaim your faithfulness. Help me to preach boldly. And I pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here that has not put their faith in the great God of Israel and the great God of the Lord's church, that they would repent and turn to him. I'm thankful, Lord, that you will in no wise cast them out. So, Lord, convict and encourage the faithful brethren here, Lord. Strengthen them. Strengthen me. I thank you for speaking to me through this passage. Lord, you've encouraged me with it, and I pray that you'd help me to encourage these people with it as well. In Christ's name I do pray. Amen. So we're going to look at four different points. First point is God is faithful in his love. Secondly, we're going to see that God is faithful in his promises Thirdly, God is faithful in His mercy. And then fourthly, God is faithful in His judgment. I'm going to focus particularly on verses 6 through 11. I just read that the verses before to give you a little bit of context. But the first point is, is God is faithful in His love. Look at verse 6 and 8 again. 
For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any people. For you are the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. God chose to love Israel. And I make a statement like that. I want you to really think about who Israel was as a people. You know, the Lord loved them despite of all of their wickedness, despite all the horrible decisions that they would make, and despite all the times that Israel would reject them. Now first, let's look, at, let's look at Israel's founders, so to speak. First, the promise was given to Abraham. The Lord loved Abraham, but Abraham would lie about his wife two times, twice, once in Egypt and another time to Abimelech, king of Gerir, and set a terrible example of them as the child of God. Now God came and spoke to, to, the, to those kings and said, do not mess with his wife. And Abraham, he hindered, the, he hindered the Lord's name. He hurt the Lord's name. He was to be setting an example to these other nations, and he wasn't. Think of Isaac, Abraham's son, to whom also the promises were given. Isaac would lie about his wife and temporarily reject God's command to bless Jacob. Now, he did eventually, but he played favorites in the beginning. And he had, he had known he, was supposed, he wasn't supposed to bless Esau. He was supposed to bless Jacob. But he, was, he, but he chose, to, because he liked Esau more, he was going to bless him anyway. And eventually, Jacob, we know the story, Jacob lied. And, and, um, or you know, Jacob lied and Isaac eventually did bless him. Thirdly, Jacob. Think about Jacob, whose name means supplanter or deceiver. He would lie to his father, try to make a deal with God, and eventually God would have to wrestle him and tap him out. He would limp the rest of his life for it. The Lord loved these people. They were his chosen people. Think about, think about Israel. With the leadership of Aaron, they would participate in idolatry, which involved a fornication party. And Aaron would make an excuse when confronted about his sin. He would say, I just threw in you know, these rings, this gold, and a calf came out. He knew exactly what he was doing. And they weren't, they weren't just dancing. They were committing fornication. It was pagan worship is what they were doing. But the Lord still chose these people. The Lord loved these people. Later on, Israel would desire to stone Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb, the very people that interceded to God for them. Now, if it wasn't for those people, what would have, God would have probably already poured out his wrath upon Israel. If it wasn't for Moses interceding for them, saying, Lord, have mercy upon them. These are your chosen people. And they wanted to stone these. They wanted to stone them. The people they went to, Israel went to, to, to Moses and said, get, get us water. We need water. These are the people God loved. These are the people God chose. Also, Israel would reject and kill God's prophets. Look at Matthew chapter 23.
These are Jesus' words. Starting in verse 29 through 39. It says... This is Jesus speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, if we had been in the days of our father, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, Ye serpents, ye generations of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I sent unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barchias whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. The, the people that for years and years and years and years, Jeremiah, the prophets that proclaim, proclaim God's faithfulness and their promises and proclaim that if they would just repent and turn to him, they could come out of all the, you know, the bondage of Egypt, they could come out of the bondage of Babylon and Persia and Assyria. People that interceded to the Lord for them. God's sent messengers. They, they slew them. They slayed them. And, again, these are the people God chose to love. It gets even worse than that. Israel, the Jews, would be the people that would decide to torture and kill their Messiah, their Savior. Turn to Isaiah 53. We know this passage very well, but it is one of the most sorrowful, if not the most sorrowful passages in all the Bible. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him, Jesus Christ, as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not, we as Israel. Surely he hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, this is Israel. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper at his hand. He, God, shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. Think about that. God loves Israel so much, he sent his Messiah to them. He sent them the prophets, and they slew them all. They killed their Messiah. They killed their Savior. But yet, look back at our verse. 
verse 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any people, for you are the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. The Lord loved them. God is faithful to love his people. And we are not Israel. We are the church. The church is not Israel. But praise the Lord, Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ gave his life, shed his blood for his church. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. God loves his church. And he's faithful to love his church. And he's not going to stop loving his church. Just as he's still not stopped loving Israel. He's not done with Israel. They've rejected him. They killed him. They persecuted him. And the Lord turned to the Gentiles. But he's not finished with them because he still loves them. And he still loves you and I. He still loves his church. Not only did the Lord love Israel, not only did the Lord love the church, but the Lord also loved his enemies. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Praise the Lord for his love. I'm thankful he doesn't just cast us off. Think about, think about how the Lord, what the, the sacrifice that the Lord made for his church, how he loves his church. Think about the book of Revelation and those seven churches that are talked about there. The Lord was still in the midst of them. Though they were wicked, though they did much wickedness, they weren't a wicked people. They were born again. They were a church still. They had much sin among them. They had no love, but the Lord was still in the midst of them. The Lord still loved them. And he pleaded with them, repent, or I will remove myself from you. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is gracious. Don't tell me churches are not essential. (laughs) Now, the reason that Governor Cooper thought that he could make or classify churches as non-essential is because too many Christians live and act like the church is non-essential. The church is essential. God gave his, shed his blood for his church. Praise the Lord. And don't tell me God does not require for Christians to be a part of a church because churches are full of hypocrites. Those churches in the book of Revelation were full of or had sinners in them. Churches have sinners in them. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. That Christ so loved the church that he gave himself for it. Praise the Lord for his love. Praise the Lord that the Lord has mercy towards his enemies. Now, we were at enmity with God. The church. us We weren't the church yet, obviously, but we as individuals. We were at enmity against God. Praise the Lord. 
And yet many still say, as Malachi, in the book of Malachi says, people say, wherein hast thou loved us, Lord? Turn to the book of Malachi. I want you to see that. The last book of the Bible, Malachi is not super popular, not the Bible, last book of the Old Testament, sorry. I'll help you to find it. So just go to Matthew, you know where that is, and then go page back. Verse 1 and 2. The burden of the, wor- of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The word of the Lord is a burden to its messengers. Not in a sense that, oh, we got this burden. But God's messengers, God's pastors, God's preachers have a burden on their heart. They love their people. They love the people they're preaching to. And Malachi here had a burden on his heart. Again, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? And I don't know I don't know the hearts of every person here, but maybe there's one in here that has said, Wherein hast thou loved me, God? The Lord is so loving, He's so gracious, that He sends you people, He sends you messengers to try to help you, that God burdens their heart to come proclaim the word of the Lord. And yet, so many say, Wherein hast thou loved me, Lord? And the Lord gives them the breath to say it. Think of that. It is God who allows them to say those abominable words. Praise the Lord for his love. I'm thankful. I hope you're thankful. The Lord is faithful to love. Praise him for it. Thank him for it. Every day, praise the Lord for his faithfulness to love you and I. He's never going to stop loving you and I. The born-again believers, no matter how much we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The book of John tells us, John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God for his faithfulness to love us. Secondly, we see God is faithful in his promises that he gives. Look at verse 8 and 9 again of our, of our passage. Verse 8 and 9 says, But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oaths which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of the bondmen, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Lord had sworn to their fathers. The Lord had made a promise to Abraham that he was going to bless his generation and that his seed would be as the sand that is by the seashore and as the stars that are in the sky for a multitude. But you know what? Abraham, he was of old age, and he had no heir. He had no son. And yet the Lord came to him and promised him this promise, chose him to be his chosen nation, out of his seed. And you know what? 
he had a son. And know what the book of, I believe it is James that tells us, or it says in Genesis 2, that Abraham believed God. It was impossible from man's perspective, but Abraham believed God. And from this time, you know, about 450 years had passed since God had made that promise to Abraham. But also, the Lord had promised Abraham that, he, that they were going to go into bondage of Egypt and that they were going to come out with great spoil. You know, look at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, verse 13 through 14. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. So, this was several, several more years before they went into Egypt. The Lord knew it, told them they were going to go into bondage, but the Lord was going to deliver them. And think about this. While in Egypt... They multiplied, and they multiplied, and they multiplied. And Pharaoh tried to stop it, but they kept multiplying, and they kept multiplying. Why? Because God had promised Abraham that your seed is going to be like the the stars in the sky. Though they were in bondage, God blessed them. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Praise the Lord. God saw and heard the affliction of their cry, it tells us. They were in Egypt, and the Lord cried to them. And, God, and it says in the book of Exodus that the Lord heard their cry. He saw their affliction. The Lord was still paying attention to his chosen people whom he had chosen. The people that, had the, that obtained the promise, the Lord still saw them. And God redeemed them. He, you know, it says that they were going to be redeemed out. They were going to be brought out. The word redeemed means purchased. And they were redeemed by that spotless lamb on Passover. On Passover day, the first Passover. That blood on the doorpost, that did it. <laughs> that did it for Pharaoh. All his children, all his sons, I believe it was, were murdered. All his sons, I believe it was. But those who applied the blood on the doorpost were saved. God purchased them with that blood, just like he purchased his church with his precious blood that he shed on Calvary. He's redeemed us with it. So God, God fulfilled his word. He fulfilled his promises. And God has given you and I promises. He's given his church promises. He promised to redeem his church by the precious blood. He's done that. Praise the Lord, he did it. Once for all, as we just sang, praise the Lord, we are redeemed. We've been purchased with something that is incorruptible, the blood of Christ, which still speaketh in heaven for us. The book of Hebrews tells us. Secondly, think about this. The Lord promised us that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Now, gates do not charge things. Gates are for protection. So the gates 
of hell are not charging the church. We are storming the gates of hell. In the, the past, Jesus said that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And he also said after that, he gave the church power to bind and to loose. Praise the Lord. That just goes, that passage is one of the strongest passages that show the importance of, of church attendance. I'm not saying people cannot be saved if they're not in a church, but everything you see in the Scripture, the more I understand doctrines of the church, born-again people are baptized into a church. Praise the Lord for His church. <laughs> this got off on a tangent. <laughs> but praise the Lord. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ is in the midst of His churches. Praise the Lord. Though we sin, we have an advocate. And he pleads with us when we have sin in our lives to repent through the preaching of God's word. He uses pastors whom God holds in his right hand. Praise the Lord. He promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. I hope that makes you happy. Praise the Lord. He is never going to leave us. We don't have to pray for the Father to come down. We don't have to pray for the Lord to show up among us. The Lord is here. Amen? Amen. I'm thankful unto Him be glory in the church. Praise the Lord. That's why we're here. We're here to worship Him. We're here to serve Him. We also have the promise that God has not appointed His church to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Praise the Lord. We are not appointed to judgment. We're not appointed to wrath. God is coming again, and He's going to redeem His own. He's going to take His own home. He's going to catch them up. We're going to meet them in the air. And then He's going to judge. Praise the Lord. Wow, I better hurry. Praise the Lord. We also have the promise that he's going to come quickly. The book of Revelation tells us that. One of the, last, the last prayer of the book of the Bible is the Lord says, Behold, I come quickly. And John says, Even so, Lord, come. Amen. Praise the Lord. He's coming. And we have that blessed hope. It's going to happen. Just as Israel made it to the promised land, just as Israel came out of bondage, came out of Egypt. Just as God loved Israel, God loved His churches, God has loved His church, and God has given us blessed promises, wonderful promises, and we can trust His word. Thirdly, God is faithful in His mercy. Look at verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant, which is His promises. Covenant is just another, another word for promise. And mercy with them that love Him. God is a merciful God. First time, this, 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 this really blessed my heart when I first learned. Turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 through 19. This is the first time the word mercy and merciful is translated in Scripture. 
This is Lot. Abraham, or not Abraham, God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham pleaded for, for the people there, if there be any righteous people there, Lord, now, will, will you hold back your judgment? And just Lot was taken out because of, more than likely because of Abraham's prayer. But anyway, verse uh, 15 through 19 says, And when the morning arose... So God is about to pour out his judgment on Sodom. Then the angels hasten, Lot saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. So Jesus comes, he sends his angels, and says, Get out. Judgment is coming, get out. And while he, Lot, lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand's two daughters. And the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. The first time the word mercy or merciful is used or is translated in the scripture is for just Lot, righteous Lot. We sometimes look at Lot as he was some wicked person. The Bible calls him a righteous man. He says he was a just man. We don't know everything about Lot. He made some horrible mistakes. But he is one of God's redeemed and the Lord was merciful to him. He cared for him so much, he, tra- he dragged him out of Sodom. And it goes on, It came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, and he, that he said, Escape for thy life. This is the Lord telling him, Go, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said to them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, there it is again, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. So the Lord literally comes into Sodom, drags him and his wife and his daughters that he had with him out of Sodom, and says, run for the hills. And Lot says, Lord, if I go to the hills, something's gonna, I'm going to die. Something's going to consume me. And the Lord, you know what's amazing? The Lord let him have his way. Lord still didn't destroy him. Now, there's some horrible consequences and things that happen because he didn't listen to God. His daughters commit horrible incest with him. But the Lord was merciful to just Lot, to righteous Lot, despite his, his wickedness. Praise the Lord for his mercy. Psalm 136 tells us, His mercy endureth forever. Over and over and over again. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. God is faithful in his mercy towards us. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 55. Turn to Isaiah 55. Verses 6 through 7. Now God is merciful to the sinner. In context here, it says to those that keep his commandments. But God is also merciful to sinners, to wicked people. Look at Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. 
and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Don't stay in your iniquity. Run to him. There's mercy to be found, sinner. And he is willing to accept all that call upon him. I don't care what iniquity you're in. I don't care what bondage, how, how, how much you are enslaved to your sin. God is able to free you, to break the chains. If you'll just call upon him, he's able to pardon you, to justify you, to declare you righteous. But only if you'll call upon him, and he is merciful. He's allowed me to stand up here and to preach this message to you and declare God's mercy to you. And this might be the only opportunity that you have to repent and call upon the lame of the Lord because this passage says, while he may be found. There will come a time when you will not be able to call upon the Lord because the Lord is just, the Lord is righteous, and he has to be just. He has to be righteous. He has to judge because he's a perfect judge. But he is merciful and he's calling all unto him. Seek him while he may be found. Praise the Lord for his mercy. I'm so thankful the Lord had mercy towards me. When I was but a child, the Lord didn't allow me to stay deceived. But he convicted me and convicted me and let me hear the preaching of the word of God over and over and over again. And I know that in a congregation this big, there may be some in here that have heard the word of God preached over and over and over again and you're still holding on. You've still not called upon him because you're prideful or for some whatever reason. And friend, there's coming a day when you will not be able to find him you will wish you could see the Lord. And you would beg him, Lord, save me, save me, save me, but the Lord will not at that time. The Lord is merciful towards us. He is merciful towards you. He's been so merciful towards me as an unbelieving person and as a born-again believer, someone who sins on a daily basis. The Lord is merciful towards me. And think about all the wicked sins that Israel committed. All those things that they did, the Lord was merciful to them because the Lord's mercy endureth forever and because God is faithful in his mercy. We serve a faithful God. He's faithful to love. He's faithful to keep his promises. He's faithful to be merciful. But fourthly, God is faithful in his judgment. So we have wonderful love. We have wonderful promises. We have wonderful mercy. We also have judgment. Now, I don't care which passage of the Bible you go, go to. You're going to see something that's very encouraging. But right next to it, you're going to see something that may be not so encouraging. Something that might hurt. Something that might judge. Something that might prick our hearts and say, you need to get that right. You have this sin in your life. I don't care which, which book of the Bible you go to. You cannot separate God's love, mercy, and grace from his judgment. You can't do it. Because God is a perfect judge. And, and preachers, so-called preachers that preach without judgment are not preaching the whole counsel of God. 
because it is all over this book. They can't, they can't, even, they can't even exposit a chapter. I mean, there, there are far and few chapters that you can find in the Bible that don't declare some type of judgment. It, they're, they're, not, they're not God's preachers. They're not being faithful. I'm thankful we are a part of a, a church who has a pastor that is faithful to preach the whole counsel of God that goes through verse by verse by verse and tells us what sin we need to get rid of. And though sometimes it hurts, the, passage, or the message he preached the other night on watching our tongue and, and not being flippant, that was convicting. I praise the Lord for it. Praise God. Because I want to be clean. I hope you want to be clean as a church. That's our purpose. He died for the church that we might be spotless, that we might be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood. So praise the Lord when things hurt. Amen? Praise the Lord when things are not comfortable. We can repent and we can be cleansed. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. God is just, and He is faithful in His judgment. There's none that get away from it. All will be judged. Look at verse 9 and 10. That We have right in here, prompt, God's going to keep His promises, He's faithful, but the, the passage goes on. Starting in verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him, and keep His commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate Him to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth Him. He will repay Him to His face. The words to his face, it sort, of, it sort of implies that they're going to know that the thing that they're going through is God's judgment. They're going to know that this is from God. And friend, if you do not repent, if you do not call upon Christ, you're going to know that the Lord, He is God one day. Every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. you're going to know this is because I rejected my Savior. And you're going to know that I sat and I heard preaching over and over and over again, and I, I wish I could hear that preaching now. But you won't be able to. That'll be it. So those that hate God will be judged. The thing about the older generation of Israel was wiped out by God. All those from the age, I believe it was 20 and up. And the book of Numbers tells us why. It says, or it says that it's because that they saw his miracles, and they knew God, they saw his glory, but they did not obey. They did not heed. And you know, Romans tells us that's the same reason that God is going to judge the wicked. It's because Romans chapter 1 says that because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their hearts were darkened. They knew God, but they said, No God, as a fool that saith in his heart, No God. 
Lord's going to judge those. You are being held accountable. All the more tonight. God will eventually give Israel over to its enemies later on. They, they go in and possess the land, but they're not obedient. And we know eventually Syria, they would go into captivity with, the, with uh, Syria would come in, then Babylon, then Persia. And they would cry out to the Lord. And the Lord would free them. <laughs> but then they would be disobedient again. And then they would back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Lord's, the Lord is consistent. The Lord's going to judge those that have rejected Him. And you, see, and you may say, when have I ever rejected, rejected Christ or not loved Christ? And the book of Hebrews chapter 10 says that to reject His Word, to reject the Savior, the things that you have heard, is as to trample the blood of Christ, or to trample Christ under your feet, and to count His sacrifice as nothing. It's to count it as a little thing. Ah, Christ died for me. I don't, I don't need God. It's a fearful day coming to those people. And the Lord is so gracious, He's so loving, He's so merciful to, 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 call, to call you to repentance. The martyred cry from the altar, How long, Lord, wilt thou not judge? And the Lord tells them, Just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. We read back in the, back, in the book of Matthew that Jesus said, From the blood of Abel to the, the shedding of blood, I believe, of Zacharias it was. They persecuted God's prophets. And there are people today that are facing horrible persecution. We think in America we're facing, a perse- we're facing persecution now. We're not facing any type of persecution. Not, not like we see in Scripture. We are so spoiled rotten to think that this is persecution. We are a blessed people. But the Lord is going to come back and He's going to rightfully judge the nations. And all that blood that was shed, He's going to make it right. All those that, that hated God's prophets and hated God's preachers. He's going to make it right one day. Praise the Lord. And we're going to rule and reign with Him in righteousness. Because He is good. He judges because He is good. But also God will judge His people according to their works. The last verse, chapter 11, or verse 11 says... Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments that I command thee this day to do them. You know, the book of 1 Peter tells us that the church, that's what the context is, is a church. It is a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As God chose Israel to be his light in the world, so God has chosen His church to be a light in, in this dark, dark, wicked world we're living in. So I ask you, are you representing Christ as you should? Are you a peculiar people? Are you faithful to your faithful God? Do you keep His commandments? Do you keep His judgments? If not, 
the Lord will judge. Praise God, the Lord is merciful. Praise the Lord, He is, he is faithful. Praise the Lord, He loves us. But we're all going to give an account one day to how we represent in Christ. Were we hateful? Were we... What's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, legalistic? Or were we loving? And we heard this morning what true love is all about. Love is not weak. Love is strong. So, we've beheld our faithful God tonight from His Word. What is our response? Some of us need to repent and call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Some of us, maybe we just need to repent of our sins, maybe that we're holding on to. Some of us, maybe we just need to worship Him and thank Him and praise the Lord for His faithfulness. Praise the Lord that He is loving and merciful and gracious and we have blessed promises in His book. How is it with you? Will the Lord find you faithful? He's been so faithful to us. He is faithful. He deserves our faithfulness. Will the Lord find you faithful? That's the question I'm asking. Pastor.
Well, the camp director ran off. Um, he had to go take care of something. So he asked me to fill in and announce the camp theme. Pastor mentioned it during the service, but the theme is Let Wisdom Reign. And it's taken from the book of Proverbs. And uh, memory passage is Proverbs chapters 1 through 3. So uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully we'll learn a little bit about being wise. Uh, also, as he mentioned, there's actually an updated photo on this brochure for Brother Custer and his family. Um, at this point, his last I talked to him, his wife is supposed to be coming with him. So, excited to meet Mrs. Custer. Excited to have Brother Custer back with us. Um, camp registration forms. I think there are some in the back. And registration... The registration form is due on June 21st, and um, camp payment is due with it. So June 21st, if you would please put that in your calendars. Um, and so, besides that, I mean, what to expect? I mean, we've been doing this camp for a few years now, so you know what to expect, right? Great preaching, scripture memory and quizzing. Um, the cost for campers is listed in the brochure as well um, so if you have a brochure if you've already got one you can follow along if you want I'm just going to go ahead and read this this introduction the the summary synopsis one of those words uh, let wisdom reign the children of Abraham have been divided into two kingdoms the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel Engaged in a week of tribal warfare, brother against brother. The battle lines are drawn, and the sound of the trumpet can be heard across the plains. Arise, warriors, the tabernacle of the Lord is one. Which kingdom will prove themselves to be most wise? To them and to their lineage will the keeping of the tabernacle be entrusted. You will be grilled in your knowledge of the law. Your loyalty to your tribe will reach a fevered pitch. Your fortitude in the face of conflict will be strained to the limits. Warriors, gird up your loins and fight. We're looking forward to that. So, um... Okay. All right. Let me try this again. (laughs) 
Oh, the date, yes. The date's uh, August 3rd through the 7th. I'll pick up here part of the way through. 2020. Yeah, COVID-19 hasn't canceled camp yet. All right, so engage in a week of tribal warfare, brother against brother. Arise, warriors, the tabernacle of the Lord is one. Which kingdom will prove themselves to be the most wise? To them and to their lineage will the keeping of the tabernacle be entrusted. You will be grilled in your knowledge of the law. Your loyalty to your tribe will reach a fevered pitch. Your fortitude in the face of conflict will be strained to the limit. Warriors, gird up your loins and fight. Billy Bob, you were supposed to be dressing up like the warriors from Bible time so that we can explain to our youth group about the camp this year and, uh, you know, make them excited about the competition. We're not trying to reenact the Civil War. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't spill your possum gravy. I've done that. I've done better than that. Uh I just did what's called initiative. It's initiative. Don't try to yank your grandma on me. I ain't fooled. Okay. Anyways, I was saying, I was planning for this here part. And I got reading that story in the Bible about them warriors, them and the Israelites, them Judah. And I realized it's just like the Civil War between the Southern correctism and the Northern wrongism. Uh, no, it wasn't anything like that. Or so? Oh, yeah? Well, tell me this. Was it not between the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Judah? No. Well, kind of. Yeah. See? See, it was between the northern Hebrewans and the southern Hebrewans. Except they weren't called Hebrewans. Semantics. Semantics. Pure semantics. Semantics. Again with your Yankee grandma. Anyhow, nothing I was thinking about. The southern leaders of Judah were better than the northern leaders of Israel. Oh, were they? There was men like Josiah, men like Hezekiah, men like Jehoshaphat. Just like the southern sons of the Confederacy had men like General Lee. General Jackson and General George Washington. Whoa, 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 whoa. George Washington was dead long before the war between the states. Virginia, Southerners? I, I, think, I think these folks I, I think these folks have heard enough of your uh, revisionist rendition of events. Thank you. Th- thank you for helping in our introduction. No, though. no, I was getting started telling all the glory of the southern rise of Judah, vanquishing the armies of the northern Romanism and driving them clear across the Canadian border. <laughs> all right, all right. Clearly your loyalty has reached a fevered pitch. Yeah, I'd say so. But this camp is about, you know, the Israel and Judah, not, you know, the north and the south like the Civil Same War thing. was. Same thing. 
You should, should probably go now, actually. No. Huh. I ain't go nowhere. No. Huh. You can't do that. What? What do you think? You, no. I ain't. 